today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Elcanta. The exhortations of Scripture become empty moralism without this gospel foundation. Meaning all of the exhortations of Scripture, do this, don't do this, stop doing this, start doing this, they become empty moralism without this gospel foundation. Because we do not want empty moralism. We don't want a church of Pharisees or families of Pharisees. We want this gospel foundation. Open God, oh my soul. He is strong and he's strong to save. Open God, he's a rock and you hide in place. He's a mighty fortress. Pastor Ricky will be starting a new chapter in the book of Ephesians today. We'll be teaching on rejecting religious rituals that distract you from a relationship with God. The Lord desires obedience and not sacrifice. Many times believers keep a do and don't list so that they can feel better about themselves. But Jesus wants our heart. If Jesus has your heart, then you will want to obey out of love and you will surrender all to him. It's much easier to love God than it is to keep a list of rules. Let's join Pastor Ricky in the book of Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1 for part 1 of our message entitled, You Are, So Be. We've learned a lot about our identity in Christ, and we're making a major transition in the book today that I'm going to talk about. Um, So while you're turning to Ephesians chapter 4, let me just say this. Before I preach this passage of Scripture, I I have a confession to make, which is this. I am... Even as a pastor, a recovering Pharisee. I grew up in this church uh, as the shortest Pharisee who ever lived, who ever walked the, the planet. I was the kid, if, if you didn't grow up here uh, or from our church, I, I was a kid everybody in children's ministry hated because I was the guy that looked forward to like the, the find the verse, the fastest drills. You guys ever, if you grew up in church, you know, you know, somebody yells out a, like John 321 and all the kids are trying to find it the fastest. I live for that. I had, I, I think, I, I'm not sure, but I think I probably practiced during the week thinking of random verses. I beat the guy with the Bible tabs, you know, the cheaters that would come in with the little tab. I beat those guys. Um, I knew a bunch of the right answers. Um, and yet, really for, for much of my childhood, I, I did all of the things that made me look like a Christian, but I wasn't a Christian until at age 10, God really opened my heart to understand what we were actually talking about. But even from then, I've been on a journey of recovery, but I still tend toward being a Pharisee. I don't know about you, but it's often easy to do the stuff so that you look like a Christian and yet your heart not be in it. Your heart be far from the Lord even in some cases. And I've met folks that have grown up um, really even for decades in churches. And then at some point God shows them, look, you're, you're simply, you're, you're just a Pharisee. You're doing a lot of the outward stuff, but your heart isn't right. And so what we're going to do is this morning, we're going we're gonna to give help to recovering Pharisees like me. And I want to read, before we read this verse, the ESV Study Bible, which I highly recommend, I think it's just a great tool, makes a comment about this verse that I think is really helpful. Ephesians 4.1 says, says this about it. The exhortations of Scripture become empty moralism without this 
gospel foundation, meaning all of the exhortations of Scripture, do this, don't do this, stop doing this, start doing this, they become empty moralism without this gospel foundation. Because we do not want empty moralism. We don't want a church of Pharisees or families of Pharisees. We want this gospel foundation. So Ephesians 4 verse 1 says this, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. But here's the big idea this morning. It's really, really simple, and it's actually the, the title of the message today. The big idea is, is, is that we're, we're pursuing gospel-powered change. And the essence of gospel-powered change is this. Uh, you are this, so be this. This is the format that the, the whole message is going to be in, and really the rest of our study in the book of Ephesians starts with Paul saying in the first half of Ephesians, you are this, and then the second half of Ephesians is, so be this. And, and I'm going to tease this out over, over this short message and then over the next few weeks, but uh, in terms of how we're going to work through this together, we're going to first look at seeing gospel-powered change, and then we're going to look at understanding gospel-powered change. So I want you to see this in the Bible so that you understand, I'm not just telling you, this isn't just some paradigm that I came up with or that we came up with, this is in the Bible, and then I want then the second half to kind of understand what this actually means. Because it's too easy to just use buzzwords like, hey, yeah, we want to aim for gospel power change, apply the gospel to that. We want to be gospel driven and gospel centered. And like, what in the world does that even mean? That's the second half of the message. So first though, I need you to see gospel power change in the Bible. I need you to see that this is something that, that runs uh, all throughout Ephesians and really throughout the whole Bible. And, and this whole passage hinges on, and this whole letter really in many ways hinges on, one word in verse 1 of chapter 4. Paul says, I therefore urge you to do something. That word therefore is a hinge for the entire book of Ephesians. In chapters 1 through 3, uh, Paul talks about who we are in Christ. The, the, these chapters are about what Jesus has done for us, how he's lived, died, and risen again for us. They're full of the gospel. And what's weird, if you read that first half of the letter, Paul doesn't say a lot of things like do this or don't do this. Do you notice that? There's a lot of here's what Jesus has done for you. Here's who you are in Christ. But there's no like, so don't steal anything. In that first half of the book, it's just who you are. And then in chapters four through six, Paul begins to give a lot of exhortations and commands. He says, do this and don't do that and stop being jerks to one another and put on your spiritual armor and be in unity and, and build the church and all of these things. So, so first Paul, this is, this is crucial. This word therefore means that Paul is arguing in light of everything he said in chapters one through three, do this in chapters four through six. It's, it's, a, it's a hinge, a pivot for the entire letter. And I want you to get, get how this feels. So very briefly, I'm going to review what he said about us as Christians in chapters 1 through 3. So that when we get to 4.1, you understand. So just, just remember with me many of the messages we've done chapters 1 through 3. 
This is what Paul says is true about you, Christian. You are these things. Chapter 1, he says, you are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. You were chosen by God before the foundation of the world. You were loved by God before you even breathed. You were bought back and redeemed by him shedding his blood for you. You have a glorious inheritance. You were given the Holy Spirit, your comfort and your power. You are the recipient of God's immeasurable power for your good. You are the recipient of God's rich mercy and great love. You were made alive in Christ even when you were dead. You have immeasurable riches coming your way in eternity. You were far away from God but have been brought near to God. Now you have a good and loving father. You were God's enemy. Now you're a citizen of his kingdom. You were God's enemy. Now you're brought into his family. You're part of his glorious plan. You're loved with a love that is beyond understanding. And you have a God who is for you and able to do more than you ask or think. And so Paul says, I therefore urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. See, if you don't get chapters one through three, if you don't understand who you are in Christ, you're never gonna understand how to live in Christ. And friend, if if you're here and you're not a Christian, I have a great fear anytime somebody that's not a Christian walks into a church, which is something weird for a pastor to say. But I do, I I have a fear that you're gonna come in as an unbeliever, as somebody who doesn't know Jesus, or maybe somebody who's making up your mind or trying to figure this thing out and hear us talking about things to do. So so building things or or giving money or helping the poor or or one of a, a... a thousand other things like not getting angry and building strong families and all of these things. And you'll, you'll hear us with these exhortations and then think, okay, well, to be a Christian, I jump in and just try to start doing the stuff, right? I've even talked to folks that, that maybe they feel uncomfortable because they need to kind of get better at doing stuff so that they can come to church and be here with us. Friends, here's what I want you to get, that Paul soaks this church in gospel truth from chapters one through three because he knows that if you do not understand who you are in Christ, you're never gonna be able to do these things in Christ. And if you're not a a Christian, what we don't want you to hear is, well, just do the stuff like us. What we want you to hear is chapters one through three, this is what Christ has done for you. And if you try to jump in and do the stuff without believing in Christ, it's it's gonna be in vain because you have to first see Jesus as your savior and see all that he's done for you and be changed in your heart by that and commit to follow Jesus in chapters four through six. First, you hear what he's done for you. So so if you you walk into our church on any given Sunday, the thing we want you to get is believe in Jesus and become a Christian because without that, you can't go on to chapters four through six. That's what we want for you. We're not trying to get you to do stuff. We're trying to get you to see what Jesus has done for you. And believers... There's some implications for us in light of how Paul sets this up and in light of this verse. And the first implication is that the order of this matters, okay? The the, the order of chapters one through three, then chapters four through six matters. And Paul's letters are usually structured like this. He does a lot of gospel truth and then he does a lot of gospel application, a lot of what Jesus has done and then what we're going to do. But it's always in that order. There's never a letter from Paul that's like, well, here, do all this stuff first, and then this truth will kind of tag on at the end. If you're a grammar nerd, I was an English major, right? So I'm going to say something, and people are just going to stop following me, but if you're a grammar nerd, this is going to make your day. 
In terms of grammar, with Paul, the, in, the imperative always follows the indicative. So the indicative means what Jesus has done, what has been done, and the imperative means do this now. So the indicative first, then the imperative. Never do this with the indicative tact on the end. The order should matter to us as Christians. But unfortunately, when something goes wrong in our lives, where do we usually start? We always start with, what do I need to do? Maybe there's a sin area in your heart, and you think, man, i got to be more patient with my family. I've got to be a better husband. And so where we, we come in is we skip chapters 1 through 3, and we just go to, okay, Ephesians 5.25, tell me how to love my wife. And Paul says, no, 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 no. You start with what Jesus has done for you, and then therefore you change. The order matters. When you counsel people, okay, maybe it's in your family, maybe it's in your community group, maybe it's just in, with Christian friends you know, often I'm tempted to start when somebody brings a problem to me with, here's all the stuff you need to do. Or maybe somebody blows it, um, and they're thinking, man, what do I need to do? I, you know, I, a guy comes in and confesses, you know what, I, I really looked at some stuff online last night I shouldn't have looked. I shouldn't look that, you know, man. I, and so you think, okay, do you, do you, you know, let's get some accountability in there. Who are you talking to about this? Which is all good. You know where Paul would start with them, though? Okay, friend, here's who you are in Jesus. But, but I, just, I just did, okay, you need to hear who you are in Jesus before you hear what you're supposed to do. The order matters to Paul, and it should matter to us. The second implication is this, that the urgency also matters. In, in chapters one through three, he, he says a lot about what Jesus has done, and then he says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. He doesn't say, well, here's chapters one through three, and that's pretty much it, so have a nice life. He, no, he's like, okay, in light of all of that, you need to do something. I'm urging you to do something. Uh, One commentator says this, God's gracious calling not only bestows great privileges on us, it also carries with it solemn responsibilities. So it's not just, hey, Jesus did all that, great, I'm just going to go live my life the way I want to now. No, it, it carries great privileges, but also solemn responsibilities. So, So in your heart, Christian, is there an urgency to change in light of the gospel and in light of what Jesus has done for you. The third implication is that the connection matters, okay? Paul says that we're to walk worthy of the calling to which we've been called. He's connecting the calling we've been called to with our walk today. And and here's why this matters. A lot of times in my life or in my thinking, and when I read the Bible, I have like two buckets of stuff okay, that I put things that I learn in. So I have a bucket of stuff for stuff that Jesus has done, and then I have like a separate bucket for stuff I'm supposed to do. So when I'm hearing the Bible or reading the Bible or whatever, I'm like, okay, that's a thing for me to do. It goes in this bucket. Well, that's something Jesus did. It goes over in this bucket. And it's just like totally separate buckets. And I learn things to do. And I I mean, I learn things to do over here. And then I learn things that Jesus has done. And I kind of keep them compartmentalized. And when I need to remember what Jesus has done, I go over to here. And when I need to remember what I, 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 yeah, see, I I, I did it again. Okay, I can't keep track of which bucket this is. I should have clearly labeled these before I started this illustration. Okay, forget the buckets. They're just invisible. They're above us now. So, 
So there's a bucket, stuff that we're supposed to do, a bucket, stuff that Jesus has done for us, and we keep them separate, right? So if I need some stuff to do, I go to that bucket, and if I need to hear what Jesus has done for me, I go to the other bucket. For Paul, he says no. He says they need to be connected, and here's how they need to be connected. Paul, the way that I think about it is the gospel truth of what Jesus has done for us is an engine that powers everything that we are supposed to do. So rather than just compartmentalized and separate, think of your own engine and all of the, the, the pulleys and, le- and stuff coming off of a, a, an engine itself. If you don't hook in what you're supposed to do to the engine of what Jesus has done, you're never going to get anywhere. You can push your car. You can manually crank those things all you want, but you're going nowhere fast, right? And, and they're, they're vitally linked. In fact, if, if you have the engine running but you don't ever connect your own life to it, it's not gonna do you any good either. You're just gonna be idling in the driveway, revving the engine, wondering, why are we not going anywhere? See, for Paul, Paul is saying, therefore, in light of what you've been called to, walk worthy of that calling, and the connection matters. So here, remember, the big idea is this. The gospel power change says, you are this, so be this. And this really came home for me when I... I was interning at a church in Maryland, and I had um, gotten into an ugly pattern of sin um, in my life that was painful and got revealed. And, and I remember having to call my pastor that I was working for. I was an intern at the church, having to call my pastor. His name was John, and I'll never forget it. I, I, I called John, and I basically confessed, look, man, I'm really struggling with this. I haven't really talked to anybody about this. Um, and I, you know, I felt ashamed that I hadn't talked to anybody about it before. I felt ashamed that I was struggling with it. And, and I'll never forget the first thing he did when I got on the phone with him. See, I was expecting him to go into, well, you know, as an intern, Ricky, this is, you know, we need to, we're really going to have to look at this pattern because if you can't get a handle on this, you know, you're going to have to leave the intern program. Or, you know what, here's, here's a strategy, man, that I can help you with for how to beat this sin. You know where he started with me? I'll never forget the first thing he said to me. He said, Ricky, thank you for calling and, let, and, and confessing this. I can, I can see that this, you know, that you're, you're pretty ripped up about this. Brother, the first thing you need to hear is this that Jesus Christ died for that sin because you've believed in him. And that when God looks down on you, he doesn't see you as, as somebody that's far from him, that needs to earn his way back into his grace. He sees you as a son. And so he is right here to help you right now. And I'll never forget that. That was life to me in that moment. Because I wanted to jump into all of the stuff I needed to do. Because in my heart, there was a desire, okay, I'm just going to do better. I'm just going to try harder. I was getting outside of the car and trying to push it up a hill without ever turning the engine on. And by God's grace, he turned the gospel engine on and began to connect my life to it. And he, we talked about the urgency of our, my need for change and how to connect the gospel and, and how the gospel has implications for this part of my life. But it started with who I was in Christ. And in essence, this is what he said in that conversation. Ricky, you are a son of God. So be a son of God. You are... You are holy and blameless in the sight of the Lord, so walk in in purity and blamelessness. And that gospel connection gave me life. Church, I don't want 
empty moralists that come and spend time at our church and then go back home and try to do better and try to pick it up the next week. I want people who are soaked in the gospel of Jesus Christ so much that, that, that they understand who they are in Christ so much that it can't help but have implications for what they're to live like. So very briefly, let's look at understanding gospel-powered change. Hope, I, hope I've convinced you in, in, the, in that first part that, that you should see gospel-powered change in the scriptures. I want to also help you understand how to make this change. So in essence, how to connect your life to the engine of the gospel so that you actually have real change. And if you've been around our church, we say things like we're gospel-centered and you need to apply the gospel to that. And a lot of times we have no idea what we're talking about. Just, just it's like one of those things that you can say to people. Man, I'm really struggling with this. Man, well, you should definitely apply the gospel to that. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Mm. You know, and let's pray. And like, but, but what does that really mean? This is what I want to try to help a little bit with. Because if you just tell people, hey, apply the gospel, and we give no help in connecting the gospel to their situation, we're handing them a Hallmark card while they're suffering from a gunshot wound. They're like, thank you very much. My life is ripped up right now, but this inspirational card you've given me helps me feel so much better. We don't want to do that. And this is so important because... Um, Outside the church and inside the church, without both the gospel truth and the gospel action, we're, we're completely lost. Outside the church, this is what this looks like before we get into this. Outside the church, if you have a lot of rules but no gospel, you get to empty moralism. So you get to how to be a better person in 10 steps, which I saw this week online. Or do this and this and this and improve your life. Self-improvement. Um, this kind of stuff. And you can get people to do insane and impressive things if you convince them it's in their own self-interest, right? The, the, the other engine that makes the world go is our own self-interest. So if we can tie self-interest to like our lives and convince people, you know what, you're going to feel better if you do more good, that works for a lot of people. Like, man, you mean like by giving like this money to the, the little, you know, dink, you know, bell ringing Santa, I'm going to feel better? Yeah, watch, try it. And you do feel a little better. And so you're like, great, I'm, gonna, I'm suddenly a giver now. This is great. But you're not giving because it's like, oh, I want to bless those people. It's like, man, I, I love the way I feel when I give. This is great. Like, so you can get people to do all kinds of stuff with lots of rules, but no gospel action. This is unfortunately a lot of cults are built on this. There's no gospel, lots of rules. Convince them it's in their own self-interest. That's what happens, empty moralism. Or if you have a lot of God talk, and just a few rules, but still no gospel. It's just dead spiritualism. You're getting in touch with your spiritual side. You're filling that spiritual part of your life, but not a lot of rules. Just do something in there that helps you feel good. That's just dead spiritualism. Those things cannot change the core of who we are. But even inside the church, we get off and we go, along, we go the wrong way. Inside the church, if you have gospel foundation, but no gospel action, you get hypocritical Christians. Hope in God, oh my soul, He is strong and He is strong to save. Hope in God, He's a rock in your hiding place. He's a mighty fortress. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
These verses from Ephesians speak to who we are in Jesus and how we became one of His. Pastor Ricky will be taking us through the book of Ephesians, seeking the answer to the question, Who am I? For more information, email us at radio at betternewsradio.com. Sometimes it is just easier to call. Our phone number is 915-562-7100. We'll be happy to help you. Again, that number to call is 915-562-7100. You can learn more about Better News Radio, Cross of Grace Church, and Pastor Ricky at our website, betternewsradio.com. All of Pastor Ricky's messages through the Bible are available to listen to or download for free at betternewsradio.com. You'll also find contact information, driving directions to the church, and details about activities and upcoming events on our website. We also encourage you to follow the Cross of Grace Twitter feed at Cross of Grace EP, where Ricky tweets additional thoughts about the messages you hear on Better News Radio. Or connect with us on Facebook at Cross of Grace EP. Well, that's all the time we have for today. From all of the production team here at Better News Radio, we want to say thank you for tuning in and please make plans to join us again for the next edition of Better News Radio.